Hey, you, before we get started, listen, if you're a therapist, a coach, an educator, and you really want to make your first product and start making some monies online, anybody in the back, listen, that's what I do. I've helped really good people who are doing awesome work in the world build digital products and sell them online, going from $0 a month online to $10, $20, and even $40,000 a month. This live interactive workshop is going to be on December the 1st, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's live. It's going to be so much fun. Go to heatherparity.com forward slash workshop. It's also linked in the show notes and put in coupon code podcast for $25 off. It will be recorded. But the most important thing is we're going to learn a lot and have a ton of fun. heatherparity.com forward slash workshop. Y'all know we'd be priding ourselves because we're the misfits, we're unconventional, we're outside of the box, we go against the grain, we do all of these things. But this is the interesting thing about it. The thing that we kind of pride ourselves about can also sometimes feel like is the thing that causes us to feel lonely and isolated. And it's like we don't want to be a part of the pact, right? But also, too, we have a deep need as a human being to belong. So walking the line between the conventional path because we want that sense of belonging and also, too, wanting to hold our ground and be unconventional, it's a little tricky, isn't it? We all, that's what we're digging into today. We have the Director of Belonging at USC and a belonging strategist to share with us how as leaders, as business owners, as forerunners, we can go against the grain in our industries, but also to make sure we foster and create a culture of belonging. just know that this group exists first of all it's so desperately needed so um i'm just in awe that you had the courage and insight to set this kind of space up um and honestly i i just keep thinking of people that i come across whether at usc or in you know the coffee shop or wherever i am that will kind of sidle up to me and confess that you know they feel like misfits in their job or in the ideas that they're having and i'm like oh i should connect them with heather you know so i really think that this is this is such an important space but yeah you're also right that uh this is not uh, the experience of loneliness and disconnection gets immediately internalized uh, for most people as there being some kind of cosmic flaw uh, in their own design and therefore in their worth. No one's consciously doing that. It just is sort of happening. And I think that that's partly because there aren't enough explicit conversation spaces about what loneliness even is, Mm -hmm. um, the factors that contribute to it. There's not a normalized conversation that of course, we would be feeling lonely um, in all walks of life because of various ways that society is set up, messages that we're given and all sorts of things. And so I tell my students, you know, no one's walking around with a sign around their neck that says, I'm lonely. You have uh, a skewed sense that um, everyone else, you know, is living the Instagram life um, and riding their beach cruisers around campus and wearing the clothes and doing the things, laughing. And yet the experience of loneliness is so uh, holistically experienced and loud 
that it's sort of like you can't get very far outside of it to even have a good perspective on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, It always takes someone willing to share first. Someone who says, yeah, man, I just, I like can't figure the social thing out right now. Or, you know, I just really miss my friends back home or I can't connect in all the groups I've been trying to go to, whatever it is. The second someone shares first, and right, this is what we talk about with vulnerability, but I also think so much of vulnerability has to do with courage, Um, having the resources to share first, what people are experiencing, it disarms the whole room. Then almost everyone, I don't know if I've ever met someone who has not said that at some point they have been extraordinarily lonely. You know, there are some subcultures that are still very um, communally intact um, that don't experience it. But um, I think also in the more successful circles that you move in, when you start getting into leadership roles and going to elite universities and elite sports teams and these sorts of things, um, there's an increasing sense that feeling lonely has no place because that's seen as some kind of weakness or deficiency. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, people are less willing to acknowledge it and talk about it. And you start getting into coping mechanisms that are really unhealthy. If y'all could see my head, it's like bobbing up and down like a crazy person. (laughs) This is so true. I think too, like, it's like when we start to acknowledge it to a point where we're ready to admit it, it's almost to a really dark place. I don't know if it's because we don't recognize it within ourselves or there's a shame or whatever, but what do you kind of see as like some early symptoms, signs that, yeah, we are dealing with loneliness because it's easy to, I guess, disregard it, especially because I don't know if it's been fostered in us, especially in the Western culture to pay attention to those feelings until it's gotten to a really dark place. Yeah, absolutely. It's really only in the last several years that it's started to be heavily researched and talked about, um, let alone solutions being suggested. Yes, the the signs, I mean, one of the things is it's going to require people to develop a lot of self-awareness about what they're experiencing, right? So this these are things like mindfulness and emotional literacy, right? And depending on where you grew up and, and how things were talked about, um, what kinds of emotions were allowed uh, to be expressed and held and which ones were shamed, you know, there could be, even if you have your PhD in something, right? This isn't a smartness issue, but it, it could be that you've never really been around people who allow you to say, I'm feeling really sad, Yeah. right? And so you might not even have language for it. So there's an emotional literacy um, that we have to learn together to even be able to identify what we're feeling because it could be really submerged, you know, below our, our consciousness. So I was lonely the first two decades of my life. I never once had the thought I'm lonely. Really? No. What did you think it was? I just thought the world sucked. And, <laughs> and, uh, and really what sucks is loneliness. Loneliness is what sucks. You don't. Yeah. And, but if we don't understand, you know, that it's actually the very natural feeling of when our social needs aren't being met. The same way as if we're hungry because we haven't eaten food, we're not like, oh God, what's wrong with them? They're hungry. Um, we're like, oh, give them a sandwich. They need it. They need to eat. And so um, there wasn't, there just wasn't language like that. Not one of my teachers, not one of my, um, you know, friend groups was like, Kat seems to be down an awful lot. She's probably lonely. We like right. that just wasn't 
not part of the the landscape of how I grew up in a small steel town outside of um, Pittsburgh. That just was not part of um, part of how people thought and talked. And so now we have the benefit of there being so much curriculum and, and discussion, at least in elementary school, about social and emotional learning now and these sorts of things, kindness and friendship and whatever. But a lot of the adults didn't actually have that training. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's really a first wave of, of kids now. They're having more access to this kind of language and setup. But um, and to answer your you know prior question, the reason I eat, drink, sleep, breathe the belonging work is because I know how bad loneliness is. Yeah. And I know how much is possible when we can get through it and understand ourselves as not just um, humans that are wired to connect, but that we actually have the capacity to create a sense of belonging for every person that we walk by and interact with. And that that actually not just changes your life, but gives your life the bedrock it needs in order to be built in the first place. Amen. Without, it, without it, we can't function. Even said, you know, on your website that you want to activate leaders and small groups of people to create the conditions for connection that make life great and change the world. And I was like, the conditions for connection. What are the conditions for connection? The most basic um condition if you're you know thinking about yourself as a leader just in your own life when you're going to the market and you're going to the bank and you're calling your mom or whatever or whether you you know steward an organization or a team is relational presence and then we can start to talking about um, the skill sets of slowing down to attend to the person in front of us and that can mean things like listening to them to ourselves and to our context that's three direct three directional listening and being able to ask the questions that invite people to uh, continually share more of who they are and what matters to them um, and finding the ways that demonstrate care uh, with the people that you're serving. That's that. Those are the basic conditions, right? Because if we're not slowing down to be present to the person in front of us, what kind of, you know, what kind of connection is possible? Nothing. Um, or if you know we're with someone, but we're thinking about our to-do list, or we're scrolling on our phones, um, you, there's there's no possibility of connection. So that's a, a way of thinking about: Am I do I actually have the bandwidth to be present with Heather right now? Because if not, um, I might need to tell her that. I might need to be like, "Look, I really want to hear what you have to say, but I am so burnt, or I am so preoccupied thinking about my kids, or whatever. I have one minute to like focus." focus, listen on, listen with you. Can we talk um, soon? You know, Mm -hmm. so the idea of of cultivating the ability to be relationally present and fully engaged with the people we're with is the number one condition. I guess my instinct to that was that it goes against this. And maybe that's the wrong language and you can challenge me on that. But I know in again, Western cultures, my experience with the entrepreneurial, productive, get them done, hustle and all that stuff. You know, it feels as though that would grind up against that message where it's like, okay, well, Kat, in order to be for me to be productive, I need to figure out how I can multitask and get to the point and all this stuff. So navigating that landscape, I know you and I've talked before about like measures of what it means to be a productive leader and a successful move the needle and all that stuff. And you're telling me that I need to slow down and listen to people in front of me. I mean, come on, (laughs) it's hard, right? 
Totally. And that's not taught at business uh-huh. schools. Yep. Um, that's not generally part of people's. I mean, you get stuff lumped into general leadership, I suppose, and you get peer reviews as parts of measures. But this is not, I'm not, it's simple, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And it requires radical courage to start moving in this direction. And it doesn't mean that you have to scrap any idea of productivity, but we each do have to decide what our bottom line is in life. Come on. Um, No one can make that decision for you, Um, but we are all making it the moment we open our eyes in the morning. Every single morning, we are operating off of some bottom line. If that bottom line is productivity, then you will get a life that is based on productivity and your relationships will suffer. Um, Because there can only be one bottom line. That doesn't mean it's not a priority or part of how you organize your life. But when push comes to shove, which are you choosing and why? Mm -hmm. And no one can tell you what to do. But we do have an enormous amount of evidence at this point in terms of what goes into well-being and happiness over the lifespan. And it is not productivity. It's the quality of our relationships. You're right. There's this real sense of I don't ever like to... Um, make, you know, successful entrepreneurs, for example, who have gotten to where they've gotten through, you know, things that work feel bad, but it is an opportunity to reevaluate what has been the cost? What have you sacrificed? And can we not be successful within certain bounds and also prioritize our relational health and the people in our life that matter? And there's no reason that um, the ways of business should be taken to be inevitable. Mm. There are multiple people who have led in other ways that have been very relational centered, as opposed to just profit without, you know, any limits to it, who who have had incredible, you know, business efforts. But really, um, I think it just comes down to people having an opportunity to think through, um, is this, is this the bottom line that I want to be living on? I would almost argue that a lot of the, at least kind of solopreneur, small teams, entrepreneurial space is becoming really popular online. There's almost like this need to want to belong to that community. And they were finding a lot of belonging in that. And it kind of has its own language and its own culture. We were in a coffee chat this morning talking about, you know, us leading these Facebook groups and these community chats and all this. Like there's a desire being met inside of us as leaders too of of belonging there (laughs) where we're, we're kind of needing this title, this position, whatever to meet a need inside of us too. And the awareness around that is super important because I'm not saying we can fully get away from that, but are we doing that like in a healthy way where we're maybe compromising some of those deeper values to belong to this narrative around what it means to be a leader and what it means to be whatever online. I mean, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of labels that get put on us as we start to put out online content and all that. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the tendency of any kind of industry is to get increasingly hierarchical, even if they're claiming to be flat Mm -hmm. is right. There's people who, um, increasingly, whether it's based on your number of followers or, um, how many books you've published or, you know, how snazzy your, um, presentation is at the mastermind or, you know, whatever it is, that sense of needing to perform or prove, um, uh, we just, you're right, have to be careful about. Yeah. And really, I think if we can even find 
one other person, hopefully a a handful of, of people, but who are really committed to holding each other accountable to the deepest values that you have as a leader. Then you have some solidarity that can help you um, be rearview mirrors for, you know, when you get into these kinds of leadership circles. And um, I feel like startup culture has a lot of issues with this. It kind of just becomes like a very bro culture. And and you can start asking, like, like, who's not present here? What kind of leadership styles have been ruled out as being part of this? And you can start to use your imagination almost to say, um, would my grandma, for example who's an amazing leader in her community, have a space here. If not, why is that? You know, you can just start to be curious um, because I think there is just this tendency towards conformity um, in human nature. And it takes a lot of effort to continually be reflective about whether, you know, what's happening, whether the drift of what's happening continues to align with who we want to become and how we want to lead. And, um, you know, we have to also, I think, have have a hero bench who are the unconventional leaders or the the heroes that we have that we can continue to look to as North Stars to help us, um, you know, break from the group that we have belonged to if it no longer um, is reflecting how we want to lead or to change our relationship to that group. And I also, so having a small group of people, having some heroes that have led very unconventionally. um, And also I always recommend that people have at least two groups, whether it's for Mm -hmm. professional or personal um, reasons, so that all of your relational eggs aren't in one basket or all of your work eggs aren't in one basket because we don't know how the group could change or what could get revealed through the group when the group has their first conflict. And you're like, whoa, I did not realize the issues here and they're unbridgeable for me. Well, Mm -hmm. if you don't have anywhere else to invest, that's a harder, um, a harder transition to make. I'm going to paraphrase here uh, in another interview that we just did. You said something I asked you about the kind of conditions for belonging or how do you know you've really belonged somewhere (laughs) you're experiencing that. And you said something along the lines of that every dimension of yourself is like accepted. And I thought that was so cool because I think about, you know, we kind of pride ourselves like we're unconventional leaders. We're going against the grain, like the stuff that separates us quote, quote, from the pack sometimes is the thing that, you know, our work really has laid its hat on. Like if you're a writer and you're, you're doing something a little bit differently, you're creatively expressing yourself in whatever way. And yet that thing that you feel like makes you, you, that makes you unconventional, that's, the basis of your message and your work also too sometimes feels like the same thing that pulls you away from everybody and figuring out like how to celebrate that difference that you feel like is the cause of your loneliness yes that's awesome um that you're pointing that out and um i i wanted to share a book with you i'm not okay. gonna book with you but this i'm working through right now yeah Weird. The power of being an outsider in an insider world. And I yeah. think, you know, even if the listeners um, just scan what this book is about, um, this is about understanding your weirdnesses, however you define that, the things that possibly have resulted in exclusion, um, sometimes profound exclusion, or that have just made it very difficult for you to even come to an understanding of who you are and how you're in the world and how you relate to others. 
um, reframing those weirdnesses, which is generally a pejorative term, um, as your superpower, as something mm-hmm. that's your fingerprint in life that you can um, mine for um, increased empathy, creativity, being able to see see uh, reality from a very unique and irreplicable angle. Um, and and another point she makes in this book, though, is that even weirdos need people that they relate to. And so I think part of the ongoing dance that we all have to do is having realistic expectations of what it means to belong in various relationships and groups. It does. It's not a utopian ideal where like we show up and, you know, a parade happens. Every single aspect of who we are is instantly embraced that's the aspiration and but people are people and we're all flawed and we're all finite and we're all different and so i think that you know i don't really like using numbers related to this work but if there's like a general 80 20 rule um that you can set up for yourself where if i go to a new group or i'm hanging out with a new person or checking out a new work context do I like 80% like feel like these could be like people that I can over time, you know, be gracious with their works and feel like on a deep level, I'm resonating with them. Mm. Right. So it's not like, Oh, we're all wearing the same clothes and have the same accent. And, you know, looking for mirror images of ourselves, that's echo chambers. And really people are um, most enriched when they're finding deeply resonant uh, relationships and groups that have a balance of being different from the people in the group and having similarities. So we're looking for a balance in those spaces. But I think this issue of having your basic sense of self, your story, who you are as a person received and acknowledged you can tell almost immediately if a group can offer that or not. Yes. Feeling, feeling it, right? Feel that. And you might need to get, you know, you might need to have a little bit of grace for like, I don't know, maybe everyone's like super preoccupied because it's this big event and they're not attending to you the moment you step in the door. Okay. Well, you know, that's some contextual things. Give it another chance. Right. Um, give people more than one chance unless they actually um, harm you in some way. After a couple times of trying to get to know people, you have a sense for how if there's openness to you as a person and people should feel a sense of just ease and welcome. Mm-hmm. And then you can build from there and start to explore to what extent you can continue to build relationships with individuals within the group um, and commit more deeply to becoming um, a deeper part of the community. Well said. Well said. I have one last question for you, Kat, but where can people connect with you online? And is there anything that you offer that you're excited about that listeners can take advantage of? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to build out um, some really interactive workshop experiences. uh, And I'm going to be offering those in the fall. I'm trying to collect really diverse groups of people who have an interest in really experimenting with creating belonging in their life uh, for themselves, for others. Um, So I'm really excited to be bringing people together in workshop formats. So those are going to be offered, I think, in November and then in the new year as well. Last question. 
and, and I'll link this up in the show notes too. We had another interview on happy brain where you talked about, you know, kind of challenging the concept of belonging and you can find belonging in um, your, I think you said your geographical location and in your physical surroundings, and it doesn't have to just be with people. And there's a fantastic episode again on happy brain on that linked in the show notes. But one thing you alluded to in that episode that I wanted to hear just a little bit more about is um, belonging in your own skin and belonging to yourself and finding that sanctuary and that home within, because I feel like it, it's challenging finding belonging anywhere else when you want to crawl out at your own skin and you haven't kind of found that home within. And, and it's even, I think a little bit, even maybe for me, more special. That's a, a special sense of belonging with me, with me, <laughs> right? Can you talk to us a little bit about exploring that side of belonging and maybe sinking a little bit even deeper into it than what we've been culturally conditioned to? I mean, you're going to be with yourself your whole life. I know it. Ah. You know, you know, um, and uh, our relationship with ourselves is just so foundational to not only our own mental health and experience of life, but also what we have to be and offer to those around us. It's really interesting. Um, we're not really taught how to be alone. We're not taught how to utilize one of the most ancient spiritual practices there is, which is solitude. Mm. So that's intentionally seeking out retreat and and time with yourself um, as opposed to loneliness, which is thrust upon you, right? No one chooses to be lonely. There are very rich traditions that do talk, that do have practices for how to structure, you know, time with yourself that aren't even part of the, you know, self-care industry. You know, I think we're all familiar with me time. And, you know, if, you know, that's helpful in you actually deeply listening to yourself, then great. But really just taking a bubble bath um, is not, you know, necessarily going to get you to um, a deeper sense of gratitude and friendship with yourself. And it can be very harrowing. And I think we run away from ourselves so much because we're afraid of what might be in there. And the emotions could be so hard and so deep. The fears could be running so like in our cellular level from messages we've internalized or failures we haven't known what how to hold or a whole variety of things. It can feel like we're the last person we want to spend time with. And so I would invite people to um, consider there's no one way to befriend yourself um, and to start to explore ways that do work for where you're at and what you can handle. Um, you don't have to jump in the deep end and, you know, explore every nook and cranny of your entire existence. Um, philosophers tend to do that and it can get very morbid, um, <laughs> but there are very, very simple ways that you can start to, um, can you take yourself out to dinner? Can you go to the movies alone? Can you go sit on the beach? And can you start to ask yourself very simple questions? How are you doing? What's, what are you excited about? Can you start to pay attention to the inner monologue that's constantly running in all of our brains with how we speak to ourselves? Is it gentle? Is it demanding? And how can we really think about if, if I were a friend, would I be treating myself this way, yep, yep. you know, and, and cultivate that sense of wonder about our own experience and find ways to nurture ourselves and support ourselves and accept whatever it is that we're feeling and experiencing in that moment. It's probably the single greatest thing that we can do. 
Hey, y'all, before we jet out of here, if you are looking to build a course or a membership site, build in some online income so you can fund your creative work, you know, bring a little extra money monies. One of my favorite platforms, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's my favorite platform, is Kajabi. Almost everybody I work with, I somehow convinced to get onto Kajabi. I personally use it. It's an all-in-one platform for not only your email list, but also hosting your courses, your membership sites, and pretty much whatever you want to do. You can do it on Kajabi. To start your free trial, all you have to do is go to heatherparody.com forward slash Kajabi. That is linked in the show notes. And start your trial for 14 days. I mean, technically, you could build a product, sell the product within two weeks, and it pays for itself. No sweat. Again, that is heatherparody.com forward slash Kajabi.